Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Today's topic came about because um, I think I may have shared with you, I was on a program a couple of years ago and it was another po- podcast and it's uh, about men and their feelings and kind of rolling through their emotions. And um, hey, it sounds like we're just starting this conversation. So I'm just going to go. <laughs> Um, and the, the, I got on the show to talk about when men experience abuse with a narcissistic partner Mm. and, uh, you know, and because I had gotten emails since I had started doing one broken mom. And after having conversations with you about this, the, uh, how many had actually said that they didn't really understand their relationship dynamic in that way. But then hearing the talks about kind of the behaviors that narcissistic people will do, toxic, you know, um, malignant narcissism, um, that, that felt like that that's what they had been experiencing and going through and that they felt like they were less supported because it's typically, we think about women being the victims of a man who's behaving that way and not the reverse, you know, of it, or the men shame themselves or each other into not being tough enough or whatever. So the video, uh, recording was put out two years ago. And then apparently somebody shared it on Reddit last winter and then it just took off. And then it had like within like a period of a month and a half, it, it, it skyrocketed from like barely a thousand views to like over 50,000 views, wow. you know, all at one time. Wow. And one of the questions that came up, I was like going through and kind of helping with the, um, the comments, the ones that were nice, not the dismissing the ones that <laughs> <laughs> the trolled. Um, but somebody actually popped up the question, which was advice on how to co-parent with a narcissist. Yeah. And having gone through a relationship of divorcing one and seeing other people divorce one, I mean, I know it's challenging and I'm, I'm grateful I've never been in that experience. And so that's why I asked you to, to be on here today to talk about, you know, what would people need to do differently and, um, and, and what, are, what is the advice that we can give people that have to deal with the process of co-parenting? I mean, first of all, I think of it as like, first there's the divorcing the narcissist process when there's children involved. And then there's the ongoing relationship of some degree that has to be in there. And what I've seen, I'm sure you have too, is narcissists are truly like they're like the manipulation, especially with children just like makes me angry. Um, you know, so how often have you dealt with the subject of having to guide and counsel people through the process of parenting, co-parenting, I'm sorry, with a narcissistic parent? Well, (laughs) this is a very important and big question. And frankly, the answer is every day I'm dealing with this topic. Every month, 
I actually co-host an online community with Susan Stippelman, who's a parenting expert, and it's called Co-Parenting with a Narcissist. So Perfect. we have a whole membership community that is devoted to helping individuals, men and women, it's mostly women, I think, but men and women who are co-parenting with narcissistic people, whether they're living with them or they're already divorced, but still sharing the parenting responsibilities and trying to communicate about parenting and the needs of the children. And it's heartbreaking on me. It's really heartbreaking, you know, to see it's already a tedious <laughs> task to be a parent, right? It's it's a hard, hard job. And the burden just gets magnified when you're dealing with a narcissist because you're doing a lot of prepare and repair, as I like to call it. You know, you you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be the one who is the model of health, the one who is repairing the distortions and the biases that are coming up with the narcissistic parent, the one who is comforting and soothing where there's neglect and dismissiveness. It's not that all narcissistic exes are not good parents, but boy, there's a lot that are not good parents and a lot of children who are being affected. And I was reading your book this morning. Oh, <laughs> and I want to say congratulations again on such a brilliant contribution. You take material, I'm going to make this connect with what I was saying, you take material that is so important and complicated and challenging, especially bringing the neuroscience in, which I so appreciated, all the attachment theory, and you make it accessible because you're so articulate, both in your voice spoken and your voice written. And I was really, I love that chapter on communicating with confidence. I think it's chapter six and it's just a must read because as I was reading it and thinking about our conversation today and thinking about the effects on children, you didn't speak specifically about narcissism, but I of course was thinking along that vein about the some of the toxic elements in early attachment, the toxic elements even in later parenting of children and how that can stifle you know, getting into the idea of women and, and young women developing their voice and their identity, how it stifles identity. So it's already a socialization issue. It's already kind of a dinosauric type of parenting problem, but then you add narcissism to the equation and you've got quite a trifecta. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I love what you said, you know, this whole idea of when you're co-parenting with a narcissist, I'll bring it back to the, the point, it, you're you're trying to help your children to balance what they bring in to their beliefs and their thinking and their ideas about self and what they have to banish and evacuate that can become a toxic element in terms of their ability to be assertive and to be confident and to have a sense of self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, the the things that I think about, you know, and a lot too in that dynamic that concerns me from that vein is um, if the, you know, the, the way the parents will use the children and actually um, uh, create the, you know, kind of work them in the middle of the, of the challenge of the, between the two parents. I mean, they become basically pawns in this, you know, in this dynamic in there you know, one of the things that I see as we talk about this, like I'll, I'll take that little thread there that you, that, um, that you started on there, which is when, if the parent is the narcissistic parent is a dad figure and 
the demeaning of the mom figure and the mom figure not feeling confident. I mean, I know from being in an abusive situation it is very difficult to muster strength some days. Mm-hmm. And then that model back of defeat, you know, that the children are seeing and, in a, you know, a, a parent who feels powerless to protect and defend themselves in the eyes of their own children. Yeah. And then not, not coming off as spiteful or vengeful or whatever. I mean, there's just this toxic soup that just makes my chest, you know, tighten up at the thought of it that happens, but it's not just the overt communication, you know, of, of, you know, telling people to be quiet or to be, you know, to shut up or put them down or whatever it is. It's that, it's that subconscious modeling of it, of our behavior when we're in those situations. And when we see moms that are at the victim end of this dynamic, uh, you know, I see, you know, a couple of things happen, which is that it's unsafe to speak up against narcissists. You know, that's what we learn as children. Like I I shouldn't say anything because this person's going to come and attack me. Um, or we see what, you know, I'll call it like weakness, you know, but that's not what it is, but it is this, um, lack of courage. And so then it's, you know, um, are all women that way? I mean, it, it, it is, it's a, there's a powerful, you know, mess that's, that's in there between those two things. Um, you know, yeah. how, how do you like when you're when you're talking with families that are going through this, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you work with the first parent, the unnarcissistic parent, the healthy parent on how to how to be able to be stronger in their power when they're dealing with that other narcissistic parent? Because I, I had somebody ask me this question last week when I was at a speaking engagement, like, how do I talk about my experience as abuse survivor? And do it in a way that doesn't alienate my own children. Right. Right. You know, yeah, and no, this is a great question. Actually, it's a, it's a really important question, but I interrupted you. So go on. No, 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 go. So let's, cause I actually was going to do what I normally do, which is I ask two questions at once and then we, we have to go from there. <laughs> so let's just ask one question. You know, how does a parent who's dealing with co-parenting with an abuser, you know, how do they actually still be the healthy parent without alienating the children. Cause I feel like there's this, like, you know, the kind of the vengeful part of us when we've been, when we've been abused of like, you know, screw that other person. Like they don't deserve the love of their children. You know I mean? And that can kind of seep out and, you know, leak out into languaging and posturing with our own kids, but that may not be a healthy way of parenting our children. <laughs> so, you know, step one, like, how do we handle those feelings and then being that parent for our kids? Some of it is perspective. So there's four parts to the answer to that question, which is part one is to do the healing work on ourselves, to really find ways to dig down deep and be able to strengthen and develop that healthy internal advocate. The effects of living with a narcissist or growing up with one, by the way, which has those deeper roots, you know, that has continued perhaps, and now the all too familiar partner selection. Um, Having that in in your background plays a role in the evolution of your personality and affects personality so that you may know yourself to be someone who defers easily, submits easily, doubts yourself easily. And now you're with a gaslighting narcissist who's violating your rights, who's overstepping the boundaries, who's betraying you, and you're living with trauma in your life. You're ruminating, 
you're asking yourself questions. Did I say it that way? Did I do that? Am I wrong? Was it my fault? And it's through the healing work, you know, really caring for ourselves at the most vulnerable level, finding our voices again, because we've become voiceless in that environment, and being able to speak on behalf, not in the angry, infuriated tones that can feel very strong and powerful, but in in the ways that really represent and reflect what's at the heart and soul of our experience, that this is not okay with me. This is unacceptable. Um, I'm done with this conversation right now. I'm not doing this dance anymore. And there will be periods of rumination in healing because you're checking yourself, right? You're in a little bit of an inner conflict with, this is the way I used to think, and now I'm thinking like this, and I'm not sure which one is quite right. It feels a little wobbly, but you'll get there. So it's okay. You have to tolerate that process of letting go and building new parameters. The second part to this is being able to find ways to carefully and thoughtfully help your children appreciate what's going on with their narcissistic parent. And I talk a lot about using parts language, parts, meaning, you know, I know you love that part of your dad, let's say, who can be very funny and entertaining and he will take you to interesting places and you know sometimes he'll just get you whatever you want i mean i know you love that part of your dad that can be kind of silly at times and then i know there's that part of him that can really throw a lot of confusion into the mix and it makes you feel confused and scared and sad and upset you know that's his part that he has to work on only he can fix that so we want to unburden part two our children of responsibility we unburden ourselves we unburden our children of the responsibility of fixing these parts of the narcissistic parent it's not theirs to fix they didn't cause it they can't change it and part three to the question is assertiveness so we model it and we help our children to be able to learn how to become assertive without the expectation that's necessarily going to lead to the reaction of their dreams, right? Mm -hmm. This is the other part. So part four becomes execution, which is, I call this the four frame dilemma, which is, you know, when you're imagining confronting, you were saying earlier, Ami, about how, you know, we may tend to avoid confrontation. We it's sort of in our makeup to avoid uncomfortable, painful things. It's how our brains are primed. So it feels counterintuitive to imagine confronting someone who's going to erupt or slam the door in your face or start counter arguing and defending and blaming and trying to twist the, the truths. But there is a benefit again to feeling that internal advocate who says what's so. The problem is we enter at the fourth frame meaning if you could look at it like a movie scene with four frames, there's frame one, I start imagining myself speaking, frame two, where I imagine the response of the narcissist, yikes, frame three, all that icky feeling inside when the narcissist responds. And so I enter the confrontation from frame four, which is either ducking my head or coming in like this, right? It's the fight or flight mm -hmm. response because I've missed the first three frames. Mm -hmm. So we have to back up and find a way to strengthen our spine, to manage our expectations, and to be able to deliver the message 
using that old strategy I've talked about with you before, empathic confrontation. That doesn't mean I'm feeling sorry for the narcissist. It means I see you, I know you, I get you. I know you're going to hear this as a criticism. And frankly, right now, what's important to me is that I just kind of say what's so. I'm not doing this. I know you are used to being able to seduce me into these conversations, and then we end up in a messy conflict. So in the spirit of protecting our co-parenting relationship, I'm not going there, not going there today. So when maybe things are calmer and you're in the mood to talk about the kids and their schedule, we'll try that again, or we'll try it differently. Mm-hmm. Man, my, my chest always tightens listening to you. Keep going on there because I'm just like <laughs> feeling, I'm feeling all of this as well. So yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but the, these are the essential elements, you know, help our kids to appreciate the parts language. This is just so critical. You know, when we can absorb this into our own thinking and understanding of narcissism, you know, that they are not demons. They were not born like evil. They were born with a certain kind of temperament like everyone else that got that met a certain environment and their personalities evolve over time. Not an excuse, just an explanation of how we evolve. And there's parts of them that can be at times funny, thoughtful, interesting, smart, and at times absolutely unacceptably unbearable and hurtful. And when we think in terms of those parts and we remember that it is their responsibility if they choose to take it, to care for those parts of themselves, we put ourselves in a much better position. It's not reliant on that magical thinking that a lot of women, I'm speaking now about women primarily, will carry with them. Well, if I'm just prettier, if I'm just smart, if I just shut my mouth more, you know, if I just, you know, knew how to not be so needy, you know, not be so greedy, you're not greedy. You have needs. It's not selfish as you talk about in chapter six, when you talk about, you know, this idea of selfishness and silliness, it's not silly or selfish. These are your bona fide rights and needs and opinions and desires and wishes and longings. You're entitled to express them. So while we are given all this wonderful applause for the virtue of empathy and emotion, we don't deserve to be punished for expressing that empathy and emotion. And that's what we want to demonstrate for our children. It's a big job. As I said, it's prepare and it's repair. And that's the job that we end up with when you're co-parenting with a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's a lot in here. I mean, it's just, it's hard for just two people to have to navigate. And usually, you know, if you're able to just walk cleanly away from somebody, it, it makes it all easier. Um, and then when you think about the, the, having the children in the mix of it as well, knowing how important these, you know, these young years are for them and what they're seeing and witnessing and experiencing and feeling, I mean, it just, it's like I said, I'm, I feel grateful that that's not, not necessarily like I co-parent right now, but my, my ex, the kid's dad isn't a narcissist, you know, so I'm not having those challenges, but I mean, co-parenting in general is when you have a conflict of people's personalities and ideas about what they should or shouldn't do. And you're having to do this constant negotiation, you know, back and forth. Um, it seems like as kids get into their teenage years and they're beginning to process information a little bit differently, that that there, there might need to be a shift in how we parent if we have a narcissist. Like, you know, a small child is easy to entertain. Like you talk about fun parts. And I like that. I like that the kind of the siloing of the person's personality because that is what we all 
we all struggle with, which is the, 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 as an adult, how can this one person that I love these parts of this person also mm. be the same person who did these terrible things? And, and we grow up, it's not like as children, we get rid, you know, we're dealing with as children, but it's the exact same challenges that we have as an adult is how do we resolve the fact that this person in front of me that I've given, you know, my vulnerability to is the same person <laughs> that is also wounding me. And, um, and I can, so going back to your step one of needing to heal ourselves, you know, and create, I call it, we need to be, we need to feel we're safe in our own body again, before we can then go and continue to, um, you know, to model all of these other, you know, great strengths there. Yeah. Um, but with chill, with, with teenagers, you know, those are, that's where I begin to see where, you know, once the kids begin to individuate themselves then the narcissistic parent, obviously, just like any parent, we shift. Like I've seen that in my own experience. Like I, a parent of a young child is was different than the mom of my teenage children and my, you know, my pre-adolescent children because the triggers were coming at me differently. You know, the yeah. re-experiencing trauma through my kids came at me differently. You know, what happens to our teenagers and we're dealing with the parent? What have you seen with narcissistic parents, perhaps, in that in that phase with their children that we should be mindful of or a parent should be mindful of? Yeah, I mean, part of the problem is that for the narcissist, they don't necessarily shift on behalf of the children. They're not shifting in a way where they're recognizing changes in the child's development that call upon them to provide different needs, meet different needs, provide different, you know, assets in their own skill set. The narcissist remains quite self-absorbed. That's the essence of narcissism. And so what they may see in their young child and feel is a great envy for the child's capacity to be well-loved by the healthy parent, to be able to be a kid, to just be able to be silly and playful and spontaneous and to make mistakes without consequence. And, and that's hard for a narcissistic parent who was not given those same rights and privileges. And so there tends to be almost rivalry with their children, a certain jealousy that gets triggered there's also the, you know, they're on a mission. So in many cases, the narcissistic parent, if they're divorced and co-parenting, is on a mission to retaliate. You know, it's that whole wounded, I'm not going to be the bad guy, you're the bad guy issue. And so there may be an, uh, no limit setting with the children when they need limit setting. They're modeling this, you know, sort of endless uh, opportunity for goodies and gifts and special privileges and no limits, which, you know, children need to develop good frustration tolerance, reciprocity, to live in the world with others. Again, the burden falls on the healthy parent to be that model of discipline is not a dirty word, of discipline and setting limits. And you won't be the fan favorite, you know, you're going to be the one who takes most of the angst from your kids. And why can't it be like it is at dad's house? Um, Until they get a little older, as you point out, there's developmental phases. And then, you know, in the teenage years, particularly if this is a narcissistic father with a teenage son, you know, this is your gender role model. And this is your hero. And it's uh, narcissistic parents will will over time, you know, that that retaliation tactic burns out and now they become kind of bored 
perhaps just like they did with you, the parent, <laughs> you know, the healthy parent, they get a little bored, they're looking for new shiny objects. And so the children become the collateral damage. They are more ignored, dismissed, neglected, or there are greater burdens placed upon the child now in their own performance to be the superstar athlete, to make dad look good when it comes to academic success and going off to the best school in the world. So there's this whole, you know, vicarious ego thing that gets played out. Again, burden lies on the healthy parent to try to do whatever kind of corrections you can do around these biased emotional experiences and professionals, if possible, to intervene and guide the way and help facilitate that process for your children so they do have maybe someone they can talk to about the confusion around these different experiences. Kids will come around to figuring this out. They usually do, especially mm -hmm. if they've had a healthy parent who's at least been providing some blueprint for the world in a different voice, in mm -hmm. a different model. They will come around to seeing the narcissistic parent in all of their colors, and they'll make a decision about how to be in relationship with them. You know, ultimately, they'll make that decision. It's painful to watch. It's hard to resist the temptation to want to jump in and say, no, you don't want to be like that. You know, you don't want to be a bully like your dad. You don't want to be, you know, someone who's who's constantly trying to control and dominate like your narcissistic mom, let's say. Um, and you got to, you know, again, you should do it your way without demonizing, alienating the rights of the other parent, the presence of the other parent, because, boy, that can backfire. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I, th I think about, you know, some of the horror stories that I hear from people, which it, it turns into, you know, legal challenges when yeah. a parent, you know, feels like their only, their only recourse is to, you know, separate their kids or keep them away. But I've seen it on both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even the narcissistic parent who is claiming that the other parent is the evildoer. And um, in which this is where I see the differences between when mom is the narcissist versus dad, because we have a system that is, you know, again, me too movement, believe women when they tell you they've been abused. Mm -hmm. And I do know that there are times that women use that as their mechanism to get away with atrocious behavior. Right. I mean, we ha we have to kind of like and it makes it so challenging for women, right. To be able to, to speak about our lived experiences and know that there are people that are using that in a way to validate their unhealthy things. And then it makes it cast doubt on anybody's claim, you know, of abuse. And I don't have a snappy answer for how we get past that today, but I do know that that's when I hear from men, that's what they're struggling with is that they are cast, you know, they don't feel believed. Um, they feel trapped. And yet I have seen women do this. So I know they're there. Like, you know, there's no gender, you know, um, you know, it's not like one gender totally owns it. You know, even though it seems like statistically it, it appears that it's more men than women. Um, and so then in the legal backfire, which is the, I don't want my kids around an unhealthy person. There's got to be some way I can keep my children from them. And so they go to fight you know, mm -hmm. through divorce court mediation, you know, whatever it is that they have. And then the other parent who uh, I'm sure you've seen this as well, which is, you know, you can't take things from me, right? That, self, that entitled narcissist is I'm not going to lose this. So come hell or high water, I will win at any cost. And then it becomes this, you know, totally emotional battle with kids in the, in the middle of all of that. Exactly. And um, 
sometimes when I've talked with people, it's, you know, because people will ask me about my experience having divorced through the, through that. And I feel like for me, I'll speak to my experience. I had to decide whether or not, you know, what was more important, the long game, right. Or the immediate victory. Mm -hmm. And my understanding from my, my people in my life is that, you know, narcissists don't see a long game very easily. They only see almost a short, you know, they, in fact, long-term visioning and what's the consequence of this decision today on 10 steps down the road. Some of them are skilled at it. The ones that I've seen are not so skilled. They're just living in the moment, you know? Um, and I have to sit there and think like, what was, what did I want out of the entire outcome of this whole thing? And is it, do I push today? And does this push me into a place that I really want to go? ultimately down the road. And with parenting, I could see where sometimes that might be some of the choices that somebody has to make, you know, mm -hmm. like there's patience to it that you have to have in the, in the parenting process. So it doesn't backfire on you. Exactly. Yeah. And you said, you said several things that were going, my head was going bingo, bingo, <laughs> you know, the word entitlement. Wow. Isn't that a big word? And it's really, it's one of the greatest challenges that a healthy parent is dealing with when they're co-parenting with a narcissist is that the narcissist, I mean, again, it's tough enough, as you said before, to co-parent when there's any differences or disputes or just co-parenting through divorce and all of the stress that that can impose upon our children and ourselves, time management, et cetera. But then with a narcissist, you've got that thing called entitlement. And they do feel entitled to have it their way. Their way is the right way. Their way is the only way. Their way is the most brilliant way. You talked about that idea of immediacy. You know, narcissistic people do tend, I mean, some of them, when it comes to their careers and their tactical, practical lives, they're thinking way ahead because they're thinking autonomy, greatness, extraordinariness, how can I you know, be the best of the best? And they'll make it happen. But when it comes to the interpersonal world, they're like toddlers. It's whatever's in front of them in the moment. It's just, this is here, this is interesting, I'm in charge of this, eh, on to the next thing. And that's problematic in parenting. Because it's a, again, it can be so wrapped around a mission to prove a point, to I'll show you, to win the favor of the children because that makes them the superhero of the moment. And it's just, you know, devastating. But patience, as you were just saying, I mean, is so critical to the process of recognizing that, you know, unless it's really dangerous, you know, you're dealing with lethality issues where you really have to have intervention by the legal system to protect your children's physical safety. And yes, their emotional safety does matter too, but it's in degrees. And knowing that you have the equipment to be able to adjust and modify some of what's being installed in their ways of thinking, you can do that by healing yourself, by getting good support, looking for some professional input, self-help work. It's, it's all out there and it's a big job, but boy, it's a worthy one. And your kids will, they'll find their way. And you'll be by their side to do that. The more you continue to support and promote those opportunities for them to be in relationship as hard as it is with the narcissistic parent. As I said, providing it's not a, a life-threatening or dangerous situation, of course, one of more severe abuse. It's, it's, And I know the worries. I've heard all the worries from parents about 
but my child's learning like that the world is all about acquisitions and that the only thing that matters is you know getting what you want when you want it and my, my child's getting this idea that the only way to have value is by you know pushing the other guy down so that you can dominate that's what's being modeled you know and the answer is yeah and, and i understand that concern and you're modeling a very different far less appealing at times way of being but one that's going to be replicated hopefully out there in the community that they're living in one that will over time feel familiar the other that will be more refuted i mean unless they're living in vip status where they never have to touch the ordinary world of humans <laughs> i guess that's a possibility but that's not usually the case right <laughs> right right yeah that that question came up too for me last week um which was a person that was talking about and that was a similar response that i gave which is you know, it, when the, whether the other person's, the parents are abusive or narcissistic or, or anything like that, you know, that the most important thing, you know, is that caring, supportive adult, yes. the, you know, the eye of the hurricane to always be that person that they can come back to really at any age, um, which is hard to do when you're feeling pretty much swirled up in the mess of it yourself as a parent but that that has a long-term, you know, effect. And I appreciate that you've said this because those worries are legitimate. Like I've had those worries too. Like, you know, what are they going to take out of this experience? And I know that from talking with my kids, you're absolutely right. They're beginning to put pieces together in their life. They're beginning to make these observations of humans and their, their baseline that they're using is home. And it is, you know, the experience that they're having with me hasn't been perfect all the time. Um, but it has been, you know, a waypoint for them to see and for us to even have conversations about, you know, like, for example, you know, my son is like, man, I thought a lot of people had more of their act together than they really do. And I was like, well, we all have things going on in our lives, but you're right. Like the, the counterbalance, like the, to me, I feel like your only mission then in life is to just not be that person and that, you know, and hope prevails, right? Like the good will win, <laughs> Um, and that that can that that can make a difference, you know, for the kids um, yeah. in lieu. You know, I, I feel so I feel like this is the one thing that, you know, again, I, I think I've said this before that I see parents struggle with, which is they just it feel it sucks. You know, it sucks to be. To be, you know, gaslit in the <laughs> eyes of your own children. And I've seen heartbreaking and I've heard from people like, I don't know when my adult children are ever going to trust me again because of things that the other parent had told them. And I don't know everybody's story. Right. So like, um, you know, there, there may be a mix of a lot of truth in the, you know, in the things that we hear from other people, but some of the things that people are challenged by is the constant, you know, they're being made out to be the bad person and, and, and feeling this just sense of like, to me, that's like being abused all over again, which I just hate. Like that makes me feel terrible when you're being gaslit by somebody you're being re-triggered and re-traumatized. They're abusing you still through your children. And that's just demoralizing. I mean, in, in defeating you've talked about help and I, I, you know, I, I would be an advocate for somebody to, to be using the therapeutic process, you know, throughout the time of having to yeah. co-parent because of the fact that it's a re-triggering, re-traumatizing, re-abusing re experience, mm -hmm. you know, through the kids and through the whole it, thing. It really can be. It absolutely can be. And you're raising such an important point, this whole idea of 
the narcissistic parent now gaslighting the children, children going home being angry and upset. I mean, your child may come home being angry. They don't want to talk to you. They don't even want to be with you because they're buying into it. They're sad and confused and upset. They don't want to go back to the narcissistic parent's home again. So you get all different versions of this. But I think the one common denominator in terms of a parenting response, and this is where help, as you were just saying, can be so important, is when you get help, um, you might hear things or, or, or be able to tell your children very simply, honey, what's that like for you? when you hear those things. I know how important it is to feel that, you know, you're part of dad's team. It's been hard being on his team, right? You know, I know he matters so much to you and I don't want to disrupt that, but I'm wondering what it's like for you when he tells you that, you know, I said that I would put him in jail if he did X, Y, Z, or, you know, that I was, um, drinking too much and that's why he had to leave or whatever the narcissist is telling the children your mom has a um, some serious mental disorder and she's what is it like for you when you hear those things well i, I hate it and and it's terrible and, and i think it's true and do you have questions for me about it because we can talk about it you know we can kind of get on the rug together and sit down and talk about it together. No, I don't want to talk about it. Well, I'm, I'm here and I'm open and I'm happy to, to help you to understand what's happening. Sometimes it requires little space and time, some biological cooling down, coming back to it. Sometimes it's that thing called the ride in the car where you don't have to take, make eye contact, but you can have a pretty meaningful conversation with an adolescent who doesn't have to look you in the face. And sometimes it's the child who does have lots of questions and how do you answer them without completely doing what you want to do, which is just bombard the narcissist, you know, through your child. You want to do the, I'll get you back thing, but mm -hmm. that doesn't help the child. So, you know, you dispel any myths. God, no, of course not. I would never want to put your father in jail. I would never do that. And um, anything else that is a distortion, you just correct it. Well, why would he say those things? You know, I don't, not really sure. I think there's a part, there's the part again, parts language. I think there's a part of your dad that's probably still ouching a bit from what's happened between us. And he has a really hard time being able to talk about the ouchy feelings. And so instead, you know, he gets angry. You know, like you do sometimes when you're really mad because, you know, you drop something and, you know, you blame it on the thing that fell as opposed to the fact that it's just a mistake. It happened. It's okay. And it's going to be okay. I mean, if you're talking to a younger child, this really can be very, very helpful. Some kids will come to you now because kids are getting really savvy on the term narcissism. It's unavoidable. It's out there every day in every single piece of media and journalism. And kids, is dad a narcissist? You know, mm -hmm. whoa, uh-oh, you know, that's a tough word, isn't it? Because it's clearly, if you look at it on the internet, it's just filled with pejoratives. It doesn't carry like the clinical ring that those of us in the clinical community understand and appreciate categorically for working with them or understanding the process. So what do you do? Go right to your once upon a time story. Those of you listening who are dealing with this issue where 
you know, your kids are saying, is dad a narcissist? Say, well, first of all, honey, that's a very, very big term, right? And it's got a lot of meaning. I know it's become really popular out there. So if you really want to understand what it means, let's sit down and talk about it and look for things at the risk of sounding narcissistic myself, but look for items like in my book, in books like Craig Malkin's book, in pieces that have been written that give you a full breath experience, not just the popular literature that says they're Satan, they are demons, run as fast as you can, they'll burn you and take you to the fires of hell. You know, watch out for that kind of literature. It's not based in anything that presents evidence. It's just based in anger. And and hyperbole. Yeah. 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 So, you know, give them once upon a time stories. You know, I think once upon a time when your dad was a little boy, you know, he grew up with a lot of burdens placed upon him. It's not feeling sorry for him. It's recognizing that when he was vulnerable, this is the way he learned about how the world works. And this is why he may be having some problems now. But, you know, only dad can fix that. So you go back to the idea that only the narcissist can fix these parts of themselves. Unburden your children of any false sense of magic that they may have for making it better and encourage them to be able to find the strength to say, I don't want to hear this, dad. It makes me uncomfortable when you talk about mom that way. Or I don't want to hear this, mom. It makes me uncomfortable when you talk about dad that way. I, I really don't want you to talk to me about it. And you help them to be able to find the language to say that. Mm-hmm. And to bear the consequences of that, which might be a lot of, you know, harumphing and stomping around and door slamming. And, you know, that's a part of your dad that, again, he has to figure out how to control. And you may need to distract yourself for a little bit when he has a tantrum. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've been talking about when the child has a relationship of some degree with a narcissist, but sometimes the narcissistic parent yeah. just cuts and runs. Yes. And now you're co-parenting with the parent who doesn't exist anymore. And you've got the child. And that is something that I have experience with as, as growing up as, as having a parent just go. And I, you know, my feelings and remembering of being a child, which is despite this person who just obviously is not showing any interest, um, still as a kid, you want to know who you are and where you come from. And I've seen this with my, um, uh, my other siblings too, that had another parent that had disappeared on them and they really wanted to have a relationship with, with her when she came back and it didn't work. Like she came in and then she left again. It devastated them as little boys and um, so when we're co-parenting with the parent that doesn't want to be there, you know, what are some things that you can tell a child? Because, you know, I, I know and I've heard stories, you know, in my life of, you know, that's that makes it easier, easier than to say really derogatory things about the other parent. And I don't know if, again, if that's true or if it should be, I mean, meaning if the stories are true or whether or not that's still an appropriate way of parenting. Um, but I feel like you have to be able to validate your child like you said, there's a burden of fixing them. And then there's that other burden when the parent's not there of that you did something wrong or, or the healing fantasy that they'll come back to you. And how do you manage that gap, you know, with the parent that doesn't want to be there? It's a lot of validation of the grief. It's a lot of validation and empathy for the feelings that get 
the child will self-assign to themselves about, I don't matter enough. Mm -hmm. Clearly, I don't matter enough, because if I mattered enough, um, let's say it's dad, who's the narcissist, who's cut and run, and maybe not even run far. They're right in the next neighborhood, having another life with maybe a new person or new friends or new family, even. Mm -hmm. New kids. Yeah, totally. Kids. So they haven't even gone far. They're right there, which is also really very difficult. It's a lot of, of course, you want a relationship with your dad. And yes, of course, it hurts so much. It's so hard. Your dad's missing out on so much with you because you're really incredible and amazing. And, and gosh, he's missing out on so much opportunity to see you and love you and witness all the incredible things that make you you in your own special way. And I know you miss having him in your life. And you really just keep sourcing it out, this idea that you're really, you know, just trying to siphon it out, this idea that the child is embedding that they have fault in this. You validate the anger. Of course you're angry and frustrated. Mm, me too. Me too. Because I want that for you. I want you to be able to have that relationship. You, you're entitled to that. I know you need it. It's allowing the grief to just work its way through, allowing them to have the grieving, allowing them to say, no, thanks, too little, too late. If the parent shows up later, that's their right. They're going to choose the relationship in the way that suits them at any given time, unless perhaps the narcissist has undergone some rehabilitation and they're really back in a transformed way. Happens sometimes. I've seen it. I've treated it. Um, not enough unfortunately, but it's so much is about empathy, grieving, validating the child's feelings, teaching them a little bit, like I said, the once upon a time story, not to make an excuse for the parent, but just right. to help them to see like where the real problem lies. It's not in you not being enough. The problem lies in, in your dad. And mm -hmm. so he doesn't love me. Oh, you know what? I think he probably loves you so much inside. He just doesn't have that capacity to know how to love well. You know, he kind of keeps it all in here and doesn't express it and share it so that it's an experience of love. You know, because just saying the words or feeling the feeling, that's not enough, right? No, that's not enough, right? You know, a lot mm -hmm. of validating, teaching. Well, and I'm, I have two, two things that came up while you were talking there. And it, uh, the first one is, you know, the validation back to the child, I see and sense the, t the tendency for a well-meaning parent to actually say, well, you're better off without him. Oh gosh, yeah. And it doesn't quite actually validate the feelings of the child, right? Like I remember that story. Well, you're better off. We're better off without him. Good riddance, whatever. But, it, but a kid still has feelings yeah. in there. Right. Yeah. And so what you're saying is, you know, I think is really important, you know, is that that while we mean well by saying we're better off without him, it doesn't get to the heart of this inner sense of responsibility children have by nature right. to right. still um, own it. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 The better off without him is, you know, you want to delete that from the vocabulary in your parenting. Instead, try these two words, of course. Right? You can say, of course you miss your dad. Of course you want him in your life. Of course you're upset. Of course you're angry. Of course you're confused. 
of course, is a wonderful empathic term. Must be so hard. Must be. But you know what? And here comes the uh, affirming line. Not you're better off without him. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it okay. It's going to hurt sometimes. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about it as much as you need to. And it's okay. Right? Must be. Of course. These are empathic, validating phrases because it is natural that the child is confused and sad and scared and not so sure about their own where they stand and what how they matter. What is my worth if my parent could just disappear and, you know, they're coaching baseball for their new kid or for their new partner's kid. What about me? Of course, that's upsetting. That must really hurt inside, doesn't it? I'm so sorry, honey. I know. Mm -hmm. There it is. You're just yep. giving permission to be expressed and, and ventilated. I, I feel like from my personal experience in this realm right here that you know, if I'm offering advice to parents, when we're talking about the parent that is undesirable is, you know, I have carried with me, I mean, it's, it's part of what I work on. It's part of the backpack on my back. The idea that sometimes it's difficult for children to, to also resolve this idea that they're part of this person who is a demon or some evildoer, or whatever the phrase and label you want to put on the narcissist, the drunk, the alcoholic or whatever, you know, kids get that that's one half of their DNA. And, um, and I, you know, I've seen this, you know, um, in particular with a sibling, um, you know, to have this person that he resembled physically also mm -hmm. be called out as, you know, a terrible person, you know, when you're a kid, it's kind of like, well, but I'm, I'm part of him too. Absolutely. You I know, know, so does that mean I'm broken? you know, There's and to, and to be able to, why it's important, even when someone else is behaving badly, how a child still needs to hear that, that it's that, you know, uh, and I don't know if you have any, you know, I mean, you've been giving such great advice on like how to have these conversations, but you know, when we, again, as a parent stressed and traumatized and being abused, dealing with a co-parent that is narcissistic and abusive and all of that, the saying these things about that other parent of course it makes sense, right? I'm going to use your word. Of course yeah. you want to just like scream to the top of the mountains, what a terrible person it was and what an awful experience that you've lived in. And now you're, you know, frustratingly still in the situation with them. Um, of course, as a parent, you, you know, it, it is hard to find good things to say. Um, but we're talking about our children and the outcomes of, you know, of all of that. And it is, you know, it, being the kid in the middle, it, it'll last with you. I mean, I'm going to be 50 years old and you sit there and, and I've seen my own siblings, you know, it's it, that shame of feeling like you're a part of a person who is less than perfect and sometimes abusive and wondering how much of that is really who you are. And will you ever be that way? And then you're fearful of whether or not someone else is going to reject you. I mean, there's all kinds of things that swirl around um, because there wasn't enough of that reinforcement of being enough, you know? Right. Right. And there it is again, the big toll that it takes on the healthy parent to help your child to feel like they are enough. And to it's not so much about feeling like you have to say good things about the narcissistic parent. You just want to be 
honest with your child when it comes to the fact that they're confused. It's understanding the confusion and the hurt and the anger and the frustration and the letdown and the questions and doubts about self and trying to fortify that, you know, bulk that up so that the child knows that, yeah, I, you know, sometimes, honey, you, you carry the, when I look at you, I see, you know, that real sharp capacity for, you know, like your hand-eye coordination and your ability to sort of solve problems very fast. It's such a wonderful part that I think you took from your dad because I can be a little bit more, you know, a little more um, obtuse and not not so not so able to sort of put things together in that really beautiful order that you do. I think that's really directly from your dad. And at the same time, you can help them to see that when they are bullying, when they are acting in aggressive, competitive ways to say, you know, that's not your fault that you would think about it that way. I think that's probably a little bit of the voice of your dad inside because that's a part of him that looks at the world that way. And he's never chosen to challenge that. That's up to him to decide if he wants to challenge the way he looks at things. I think it can be off-putting to some of the people around him, which is unfortunate when he's got other things to share that can be very delightful. You know, he's a wonderful businessman or whatever he might be. He's a friendly mailman, but you know, he's, uh, mm, yeah, when he does, when he's in that mode, when he's in that part of himself, it can be kind of off-putting. I think you've internalized a little bit of that message and that's not your fault either, but you've got a shot at challenging it because mm-hmm. I know you can do that. So you sort of help your children to see what they're internalizing as a result, and that it is all transformable. Mm-hmm. So the last question I want to ask before I want you to talk about the co-parenting program that you do, because yeah. I want everybody to that's listening, and this is important for them to be able to go there, um, comes down to what happens when children finally are at an age that they don't want to go see that other parent anymore. Um, because as you and I both know with narcissists, rejection doesn't set well. And, um, and there can be real challenges, I think in there, like, you know, what does the healthy parent do with a child who is at a place, you know, how do we be our child's advocate if they really don't want to go? And now we're talking about having to modify or challenge co-parenting legal arrangements. You know, how do you advise families through that? You know, when children reach a certain age, in most states, when they get into their teen years, they do have the right to be able to be evaluated, if you will, by someone through the court, a court-appointed person who can evaluate, you know, what's really in their best interests. And you just don't want to be the one who's making that decision all by yourself. It's expensive at times, you know, to have to enter into this through lawyers and courts. But if you violate the court order, you know, that the child is not is still a minor and is not going on the regular visits as per the visitation schedule, it's highly problematic. So you do want to bring somebody, some legal advocate into this to let them know that, you know, my child is highly distressed and refusing to go to their dad's house. And the dad's having a fit over here. You know, your mom's brainwashing you and she's mm-hmm. trying to control and it's, you know, I'm being alienated. They use the parental alienation claim now, which is another legal issue. 
you get it into the courts though, the children can speak to court appointed mediators and evaluators who will act on their behalf. I was called by one recently to speak on this topic for the sake of the child um, because I had treated both parents at one time and they gave their consent, which was interesting to mm -hmm. be able to speak on behalf of the child. But I mean, there are you may have to use the legal avenues because what you don't want to do is be the one to say, well, okay, fine. You don't have to go, <laughs> you know, she's not coming over anymore, which puts you in a really tough bind psychologically with your child, particularly if this is sort of situational, something that's going on that you're not aware of that needs to be worked out, maybe in a therapeutic environment or even legally, you don't want, just don't want to put yourself at risk legally. So I would just document, put it in writing, let the narcissist know that I think we have to take this back through the courts because she's really adamant. She's highly stressed. We need some therapeutic intervention and we need some legal intervention to renegotiate our contract at this time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the narcissist will just drift away at that point, right? If you just act in a very practical, thoughtful way, other times it's the I'll show you and you're back in court, but okay, you're back in court. Your child is old enough now to be given the benefit of using their own voice, speak on their own behalf and talk about that. No, I haven't been coerced into this decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the takeaways from through my experience, I know we've talked about this on other episodes, which is that the narcissist really thrives with conflict and that the higher the tension and the friction builds, the more energetic they become in their activities. Oh, yeah. They, you know, we think that, if we just keep pushing harder and harder, that eventually we will win. And, and I've, I've talked with other people that sometimes the best strategy is almost like, I don't know if it's Tai Chi, which is, but it's to use their power, you know, kind of like kind of move with the power. Like if they're coming at you is to kind of fall back, um, which is a terrible legal term. But, um, but the intent is, is that again, the patience and kind of the, the calmness and to be able to re-regulate yourself emotionally in a way that it per you are able to stay out of the, the, the real tension and grips. And in something like this, where you're able to have that fortitude emotionally to just back off. So when they come at you with an attack, you're able to kind of counterbalance it with the opposite, not, not head into it, especially for a person who's wired to fight, head right back in with your own clash back at it. Because the more the, the amplitude of the conflict is up and risen, the more you're in the narcissist's world Absolutely. and where they love to, to thrive. And that's counter to where we want to do, especially if we're trying to reclaim our power and our voice after being victimized. Mm -hmm. That yeah. is the game. That is their game. Competition and fight. And who's going to be the most clever? Who's going to be the most powerful? Who's going to dominate? Who's going to win? Yeah. I love what you just said. And it's absolutely true. And it's not backing up in an avoidant, oh my God, oh my God, kind of way. It's backing up very thoughtfully and with your words. So you haven't given up your voice. Your voice is still speaking. Nothing will disarm the narcissist more than when you stay here mm -hmm. in this steady place. Nope, not gonna have this conversation right now. We can discuss this with the attorneys. We can discuss this in our family therapy session, but I'm going to go now. Boom, done disarmed 
because mm-hmm. they didn't pull you into the tangle of the, but, but I swear I didn't. And but don't you think we should? And you, you gotta be kidding me with, and they love it. You know, the dance is on and they love it because there is this level of interconnectedness as warped as it might seem that for them it is a kind of personal engagement. Mm-hmm. It's a bond in the way of personal <laughs> engagement. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, your book is amazing for that. So everybody, if you're listening to Wendy for the first time here, she's the author of Disarming the Narcissist. And so the link will be in the podcast notes. Um, but talk about this co-parenting with narcissist program yeah. that you have going on in that way. I'll also get those links to how people can get engaged with that okay. in the notes too for anybody, but yeah. please share, share more about that. I'll send them to you, Ami. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have two communities. One is called Loving, Leaving, Living with a Narcissist in Your Life. And that's all things narcissism. And that's a regular monthly online community with some seminar sessions, support sessions, special guest interviews, etc. Then once a month, I am a co-host with Susan Stippelman, who is a parenting expert. And we co-host an online community called Co-Parenting with a Narcissist. Perfect. And I can get details to you on that. And I'm thrilled that you'll share them with your listeners. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I refer you many times. Like I said, I do have people that reach out to me that are looking for you know, guidance. And and I know you've been doing some programs. And so I, you know, encourage, and I I hear lots of really great things about you too. Um, In fact, I think, did you get a chance to hook up with Lindsay Gibson? Yes. Thank you. Yes. 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 Yeah. Perfect. No, she, um, with that email that she had sent me, she just remembered many of our conversations that we've had and your thoughtfulness. And I mean, you are, you're fantastic at this. And what I love is your, um, I think I've maybe have told you this before. Like you just have this sense of peacefulness of talking, which is so comforting because like I said, you know, anybody that's gone through this type of an abusive situation with a person, like we are like aroused, you know, like charged up and stuff and your energetic, you know, your energy level is to just kind of bring it back down. And it's so comforting and, and there's warmth in there that it allows us to kind of like be able to to have these conversations. And so, you know, working with you and anybody that can get a chance to work with you, would you know, be a real gift. Um, And so I, I appreciate you so much, like, and thank you for taking this, you know, hour to talk to me about, you know, these aren't easy topics to, to, to have or conversations to have. And I always feel so badly for people that are going through this type of an experience um, but it, you know, I, I know it's challenging and we, I know we talked about, I will just put this in here. We talked a lot about it being dad, but I have gotten feedback that it doesn't always turn out to be dad. Sometimes mom is the manipulative person, which can add a whole nother le- level of challenge because sometimes moms end up getting to be the default parent, the custodial yeah. parent because of the way our system is set up. Yeah. You know, I mean, our, our right. legal parenting system is set around mom as being the, you know, the main caretaker. And when mom happens to also be the manipulative parent and unhealthy parent in the situation, yep. I, you know, I have great, I have great sympathy for, for dads out there that are, um, yeah, that are already maligned. Is there any special advice for them that you would, um, I mean, I feel like our advice always, like it goes, it's genderless, you know, it it goes both ways. But when men are in that situation, is there anything of a particular note you think would be worth sharing before we sign off? It it comes back to that part one of uh, we were talking about what needs to happen to be able to become more competent and sturdy in your ability to issue a confrontation 
and to find your voice. I mean, men lose their voices too under this condition. And more often than not, because of something you said earlier, I mean, which is so true, it's that shame. You know, it's the shame that this whole idea that comes out of our socialization that I'm the man, I should be able to have a voice, I should be able to have some power. When you're dealing with a narcissistic partner, even a woman who's got the diva qualities, it's quite challenging. And there's a shame around being disempowered around this type of person. And your children being, I mean, I have a couple of men in my community who share this very openly. And it's very heartbreaking to see. Um, they're working hard, you know, to find their own voices and to not be misjudged as just, you know, being overpowering males, but fathers with rights, fathers mm -hmm. who love their children, fathers who also have the role of being the healthy guardians when the children are in their care to try to correct those biased emotional experiences with the narcissistic parent. Mm -hmm. So same rules apply, but you know, just different places where the emphasis lies because of some of our social training. Mm -hmm. Yep. When I, when I did a talk recently about this, you know, I've even said like the, the first thing that I know I needed to do for myself in order to make myself safe in relationships going forward, wasn't, you know, finding out how to trust other people, but I had to, like you had said, I had to trust my own signals and my signals were telling me when I wasn't speaking up. Yeah. And, and when I was not assertively responding to a situation, I was ruminating, you know, with mm -hmm. anger inside of my head, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And I had somebody reach out to me who, you know, and, and I think this is common. I know what I need to do, but I just need to hear it from somebody else first. Mm -hmm. And I felt for me, my best path forward was to get myself to a place where I didn't need to get the validation from somebody else on what I knew I needed to do. I needed to be, I needed to be at a place where I would do it because you can't count on the crutch always being out there, you know, or waiting for the right, you know, smoke signal or excuse or whatever it is. And I've used that. So I'm not saying that as some sort of perfect person who's never had to do it. Like that is exactly how I got out of many situations, but I felt like for me, knowing that it would never happen to me again, I had to get myself out of these situations. And that meant learning to trust my inner world, mm -hmm. my assessment of what it was going on. And that if I knew this was the right choice to then work on how do I get courage to then make that choice, not yeah. waiting for somebody to give me permission to do that, because that's the trauma response, right? Like, I'm just going to hold it in and, you know, wait until someone gives me permission and I'm allowed to be yeah. assertive on my own behalf. And that's regardless of mom or dad, you know, mm -hmm. men or women. Well said. That is so, so well said. It's been a tough year for parents in COVID and those living with narcissists who can't get their usual dose of stimulation, who some who are breaking the rules all the time with healthy parents and children living in fear it's been a really tough year. I've never seen so much outreach for help with issues of narcissism. And it's tough enough, but then issues of narcissism on top of it and the challenges of, you know, low frustration tolerance and high entitlement and rule breaking and not following the limits and re-traumatization is what I was thinking about when you were talking about that. Just so, so hard for so many people. Um, a hard job but remember there's always that thing yeah also when you were just speaking about recognizing that sometimes you have to find that within yourself there's always that room for repair so 
You're not going to be a perfect parent. You're not going to be a perfect person. Everyone listening who's been dealing with narcissism and you're trying to kind of rise above all the toxic yuck that you've been swimming in, that you're going to make mistakes. And sometimes, you know, we fall back into those old familiar habits and patterns that were taught to us and that we constructed for our own survival a long time ago, whether it was in childhood or it was living with a narcissist in your life. So it's going to happen, but you can always reflect and go back and reflect and repair and say, Ooh, man, I blew it just now. Because you know what? That's also really good modeling for your kids. Mm-hmm. You can always take that very deliberate pause when you're feeling triggered and whoever's in front of your face at that moment, you can do the old, give me a moment. Let me just catch my breath. Something important is happening between us and I don't want to miss it. Great modeling for your kids. Great modeling when you're dealing with a narcissist too, whether they take it or not. But it's an opportunity, right? To figure out what's happening inside of me. Get that vulnerable you out of the way so that you can come back to your healthy, wise self and say, huh, interesting. I was just about to give in. That's Mm -hmm. what I do when I get triggered. This is far too important for me to just give in. Not going to give in, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yep. Pause, take a breath. Cool. Well, Wendy, I appreciate you so much. I think I've said that like 30 times already in this interview, but um, it's always like, you know, it's always great to see you talk to you. I could talk to you all day long. (laughs) I mean, your questions, your inputs, your thoughts, your stories keeps generating more things in my head. I love talking to you, Ami, and I'm so grateful that you invited me on again and um, thrilled for you and your new book. Hats off. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm sure we'll be touching base throughout the year. This is season four that's starting. So I've done over a hundred and some episodes. I'm just kind of, my own mind is blown. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll never forget your impact on my life, you know, and your book, Disarming the Narcissist, um, it, you know, and so, you know, this has been one of the best, you know, outcomes of my whole experience, which I think is, you know, I think is important for people to see is, you know, when we throw ourselves into growing and changing and healing, I mean, there really is, you know, such an amazing world that waits for us, you know, the healthier we get emotionally, um, the, you know, sturdier we get and just the cool people that come across our path. Like, you know, the, the whole network around me is just, is changed. And, um, and I, you know, when we grow up with, you know, less than perfect situations and conditions, you know, we have a different expectation for who people are in our lives. And then when you start to heal from that, you realize how many amazing people there are out there that are healthy and that, you know, that you don't have to feel like you're in defense mode and, you know, fighting the the fight, you know, um, and that's, that's eye-opening and kind of surreal at times to, to sit there and go, wow, I don't have to expect bad behavior. That's weird. <laughs> Um, and you've been a big part of that journey. And so, um, I, selfishly, when I talk to you, I mean, I always learn something from it. And so, and I know my listeners do too. And so we're all grateful for you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueerconing.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, 
Please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.